Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge and welcome to Three Ways to Help Your Bullied Clients. Now, in the words of Bob Dylan, I ain't looking to compete with you, beat or cheat or mistreat you, simplify you, classify you, deny, defy or crucify you. All I really want to do is, baby, be friends with you. And that's from All I Really Want to Do by Bob Dylan. And I guess we don't turn a predatory lion into a vegetarian by throwing veggie burgers at them. I mused gently. And Jean, a client, had been lamenting that the nicer she was to her boss, the more grief she got for it. And now laughter like faint music broke through her tears. And she said, but I feel so weak, so pathetic for being like this. And Jean wasn't weak at all for hurting in the face of relentless workplace bullying, any more than someone in a desert is weak for craving water. For years I ran uh, workplace prevention bullying workshops across the UK, and again and again I was struck by the extent to which bullying undermines self-esteem and happiness, and also by how sadly prevalent it is. All you need to do is look around you and you'll see coercion, dominance behaviours, sometimes even disguised as altruism, and downright bullying everywhere. Aggressive behaviour is plentiful, just watch any nature programme. Penguins hunt fish, sea lions bite penguins, great white sharks attack seals and occasionally surfers, leopards and cheetahs have got it in for the wildebeest, and pathogens in the human body invade healthy organs and body tissue. One creature seeks to dominate another, and paradoxically this is part of the harmony, not to be confused with peace, of nature. But I question whether these creatures can be said to be bullying one another, as their actions are purely instinctive. I think true bullying is something else. If we look at the cruel heart of bullying, you know, sure the perfectionist boss may inadvertently make life hard for their workers by demanding impossibly high standards or commitment. And, um, you know, being around a self-absorbed narcissist can also feel like being bullied because their utter focus on their own needs negates your needs. But these people might not intend to inflict pain on you. Maybe it's just that their focus on what they want, the job at hand or themselves, simply surmounts any consideration of you at all. Many perfectionists or maladaptive perfectionists might be mortified to learn of the emotional fallout their rigid realities cause for other people. But bullying in its purest form is intentional. The intention is to inflict pain. The real bully doesn't just not care whether they cause pain, the real bully likes to cause pain. She seems to take satisfaction in humiliating me, Jean told me about her, her boss at work. And Jean's line manager would take credit for work Jean had done, she'd shout at Jean in the presence of customers and staff, she'd tell Jean she could have time off and then at the last moment turn around and tell her she couldn't have the time off after all. She'd exclude Jean from social interactions when everyone else was talking or joking in the office. She'd make sarcastic quips about Jean's appearance and work, or else she'd snub Jean, completely ignoring her. Now, little things add up to make one depressing, life-sapping big thing. And we can remind our clients that no matter how weak they feel with each individual jab, that might not seem a big deal in itself, they're not just reacting to a little thing, 
it's the prolonged repetition of snubs and slights that has been wearing them down and all together makes a big thing. If, if we are to help our bully clients, the first thing we need to do is to understand what exactly is happening when someone's being bullied. So we all have innate needs, of course, emotional needs as well as physical ones. And when those needs are blocked from completion, we suffer. The hypothetical man in the desert I mentioned has a need for water. If the completion of that need is blocked or prevented through circumstance, he'll suffer. The dry desert isn't, of course, intentionally denying him his need or bullying him, but he may still feel himself to be a victim of blind circumstance. The human givens approach has shown that all people everywhere have not just physical but also emotional needs, which have to be met in order for us to thrive and feel happy in life. So we all share the need to feel safe and secure, physically, emotionally and financially. Uh, we all need to give and receive attention. We all need uh, to uh, heed the mind-body connection. We have the need for purpose, goals and meaning in life. We have the need to feel part of a community and make a contribution. We have the need for challenge and creativity uh, to make life exciting and interesting. We have the need for intimacy. We have the need for a sense of control over one's life and the need for a sense of status. And we can see that all bullying in all its myriad forms will in some way or other block someone else's needs from being completed. From physical bullying at school to the more insidious forms of social or workplace bullying on and offline as well, all bullying seeks to prevent the completion of needs. And conversely, any ill-intentioned blocking of the completion of another human being's emotional or physical needs can feel like bullying. It can be useful to clarify specifically which needs the bullying is blocking. When people are belittled, their status is undermined. When they're shunned or excluded, their need for connection to a group is severed. When they're ignored, their fundamental need for exchange of attention is discounted. When they feel powerless, their need for a sense of control is thwarted. The first thing we need to do with a client is to discern how many of their primal basic needs have, have been or are being blocked through the bullying that they're suffering. What does the bullying prevent? Feeling safe and secure, feeling valued, feeling part of the team. This is a really useful way of looking at the effects of the abuse. Next, we need to do something else. So tip number one help them meet their needs where they can. So we need to ascertain whether our client's needs are met any place outside of the bullying context, because if not, the consequences may be very serious indeed. Being bullied can, as we know, damage self-esteem. If during times of high stress, which makes us more suggestible, we're regularly fed explicitly or implicitly ideas as to what we're like, we can come to feel as contemptuous of ourselves as the person or people bullying us seem to be. But there's something even more disturbing. Being bullied is a suicide risk. A vital line of questioning when asking clients about their lives is to what extent they meet their human primal emotional needs beyond the context in which they're being bullied. For example, Jean had a circle of friends outside of work. She had a loving partner and interests beyond her work environment. She felt loved, needed and respected in other contexts. So although she felt depressed and weighed down by the bullying line manager at work, she had other resources. The wider we spread the sources of completion of our needs in life, the safer we are from feeling life is totally meaningless or hopeless. 
or one area of our life is no longer meets those needs, but other areas do. So I encouraged one young lad who was being mercilessly bullied at school to see friends he had outside of school more often and to pursue interests outside of school. In this way, his need completion blockage, so to speak, at school didn't mean he couldn't at least partially meet his needs in other areas of his life. And this, of course, is not a solution to the problem, but it is a way to limit the damage initially. So when helping clients deal with bullying situations, we can also help them meet their needs as widely as possible. The next tip is no doubt controversial for some people. So tip two, discern whether anything makes them a target. So the last thing we should ever do, of course, uh, is anything that resembles victim shaming or victim blaming. But bear with me here and don't get me wrong. Anyone can become a target of bullies. People are and have been bullied for being too beautiful, too bright or too popular. And of course, it's never the bully target's fault. But here's the thing. Recent research has found that people who are generous and cooperative can be hated and punished by others for being too good. And this is even more likely in competitive contexts, such as many work environments. According to Professor Pat Barclay, who led the research, this trend held true for every culture that was studied. Bullies will test for potential victims. They tend to pick on people who are nervous, shy, conscientious and agreeable. And this makes a lot of sense. You know, a nervous person may be perceived by a bully as someone whose emotional buttons can be more easily pushed. A shy person is more likely to keep the bullying to themselves and not tell others. It's a secret. A conscientious person will tend to assume that they themselves are somehow at fault or that they can somehow stop the bullying by working harder or somehow doing better. And they'll tend to look to uh, themselves for the blame rather than assign the blame to the bully. An agreeable person will avoid conflict or assume that the solution is just to be nicer to the bully. So it was tragic but telling that Jean had been bullied in just about every workplace she could recall. And in fact, the pattern stretched right back to her school days. And she said, it's like I have victim tattooed on my forehead. And Jean was extremely conscientious, hardworking and agreeable. If things went wrong, she was more comfortable blaming herself than other people. And she took responsibility for all kinds of things, even the foul moods of co-workers. But it wasn't just her agreeable, conscientious nature that was putting Jean at increased risk of bullying. Because Jean had been bullied before, her fear of being bullied again meant she was anxious and self-doubting. And of course, people can pick up on that. And I've no doubt that the bullies whose paths she was unfortunate enough to cross picked up on this fear. So I talked in depth with Jean about the wonderful attributes of conscientiousness and agreeableness And she told me at one point that she loved cats, especially cute kittens. And this gave me a way in. So I said to Jean, you know, I I asked, are kittens nice? And she said, yes, they're lovely. And I said, do they have claws they can use if need be and teeth if anyone pushes them too far? Can they be nice and cute but still have claws and teeth? And she got the point and we were able to start work on her own tooth and claw sharpening, so to speak. And finally, tip three, work on their emotional responses. So I asked Jean if she felt she 
should just look for a new job. But she didn't want to do that. You know, she said that uh, uh, she wanted it to stop happening now uh, where she was. And she said that she loved aspects of her work and she didn't want to leave her work. So with that option off the table, I asked if she had memories of being bullied that made her feel really emotional when she recalled them. And she had several. One involved someone at a previous workplace pouring cold tea over her head, believe it or not. And I used a rewind technique to quickly and comfortably decondition those memories. And afterwards she felt she felt much she said she felt much more relaxed when thinking about them. So you may have to use uh, de-traumatization of previous uh, bullying memories sometimes to help your client uh, feel different now and in the future. Next we looked at what it means to set limits and boundaries and stick up for ourselves, to show our claws and teeth on occasion, so to speak. And she so loved that metaphor, so I kept using it. We even did some role play with me being her boss at work, and she got really good at being firm but polite and giving me a certain powerful look. I taught her to relax profoundly and to visualize herself from an outside observer position, standing up for herself and showing her teeth, so to speak. And in this way, we rehearsed how she was going to feel as well as just how she was going to act in those times. We find that when clients visualize events and situations from the outside, they tend to feel much calmer than when they visualize them from an associated position. And what's more, if it's a future desired event, then visualizing it from the outside makes them more likely to actually do it and behave in different ways, according to research. So if we think about the art of invisible tattoo removal, so I realize sometimes bullying has gone so far we have to do a kind of emotional crisis management for our clients before any of this can be done. But what we've covered here can go a long way. So to recap, we can see which primal basic needs have been blocked by the bullying and encourage the client to meet those needs in balance where we can. See if there are any characteristics in the client that might have made them pray. Uh, for bullies while emphasizing that of course it's not their fault and anyone can be bullied and help identify and modify those traits if they're there. Deal with the emotional fallout from past bullying through through, uh, de-traumatization of painful memories of being bullied. Teach the client the skills of boundary setting and more dominant behavior. Teach the client to relax and view themselves from an, an observer position enacting calmly those more assertive communications. Sometimes bullying does seem systemic. You know, sometimes it's chronic and sometimes it occurs in an irredeemably toxic environment. In these cases, removing oneself may be the only recourse. There are times too when legal redress may be needed. But sometimes we can help our clients emotionally and behaviorally deal with past and current bullying and we can help them in ways that last a lifetime. As for Jean, she emailed me a few weeks later telling me she had her claws and teeth fully prepared just in case and people seemed to know it. And it took me a moment to figure out what she meant when she proudly told me that together we'd permanently removed the tattoo from her forehead. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Terrell of Uncommon Knowledge and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter you can find it over at unk.com slash blog that's unk.com slash blog